Hi, this is Lisa and Jason from the Designated Quizzers Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes, and while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now, it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 239, B-Movies of the 1980s. Brian, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week, we've got something very special lined up. Not only will we be running down our top five B-movies of the 1980s, we're not going to be doing it alone. Oh, no. We reached out to none other than Patrick O'Reilly to join us, and surprisingly enough, he actually said yes. <laughs> so Patrick has worked as a production assistant on visual effects, on rotoscoping for films such as Jurassic Park and Titanic and The Avengers. And Patrick is also a co-host of my favorite podcast, Vintage Video. Now, in this podcast, Patrick, along with Jesse Bayless and Richard Wells, goes back and they are watching every single feature film release of the 1980s in chronological order. They're currently in September of 1981. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Patrick O'Reilly to the show. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of your work. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh man, I gotta tell you, I am really, really enjoying vintage video. The thing is, like, we were talking a little bit before we came on, and I don't have a very long commute into work, um, and I don't have a lot of free time in my life, so I don't get to listen to as many podcasts as I'd like to, but I listen to yours regularly. Love the concept, and if you're not aware of what they're doing over at Vintage Video, so Patrick, Jesse, and Richard rewatch every single film of the 80s, and they started with the very first film released in January of 1980, which I believe was Just Tell Me What You Want. Is that right? With Ali McGraw? Yeah, January 18th of 1980, yeah. And then, like I say, you review each and every film released in order. And so here's the thing. I was 10 and 11 years old in 1980 and 81, and I used to go to the movies every single weekend back then. So these movies are just (laughs) a trip down memory lane for me. Oh, man. What do we always say here, Derek, that nostalgia is a powerful drug, right? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, man, I tell you, I get my fix daily (laughs) from vintage video. So... And um, and Jesse and Richard are also visual effects and production assistants in the movie industry, if I remember correctly, right? Yes. Uh, my wife, Jessica, works uh, for a visual effects company. Uh, they're based in Toronto, and so she works on a lot of high-profile projects through them. And Richard works with a film financing company, so they, uh, they produce films for a, a small production company. I love also how you drop little stories into your movie reviews sometimes. I, I was listening recently to the Cheech and Chong's next movie review, and you're talking about how you, like, you knew Cheech Marin's mom. And then, and then you told the story too on one of the podcasts. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but you were talking about how I think you wore Jason Bateman's suit from the film's wardrobe department yes. to like some event. Yeah, <laughs> it was just so yeah, amazing. Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jessica and I both worked as production assistants on uh, Mike Judge's Extract, and uh, and so we had access to the wardrobe from the film, and I won tickets to the premiere in a contest and so i wore clothes from the movie to the premiere of the film (laughs) that's awesome do me a favor and please let jesse and richard know i'm a huge fan of all three of you like your podcast absolutely yeah we'll do so one thing we like to do around here richard is we kick things off by derek telling us what pop culture he's been able to take in lately and because i mean i'm just stuck in the past right i just rewatch the same old movies over and over the same old tv shows but derek has to enlighten me on new things. So, but the thing is recently Derek kind of admitted that he, he takes a, a long time kind of telling us about all the things he's been watching. So he's limiting himself to five minutes. So once it gets close, a ticking watch is going to come on. So if he doesn't get the hint, we finally, we just cut his mic 
So, so, right. so, so Derek, we'll start with you. What uh, new pop culture can you educate us on this week, my friend? All right. Well, I only have four things, so that should hopefully keep me under the five minute timeline. So I had a chance to watch for the absolute very first time. Never seen it. Heard great things about it mm-hmm. from 1971. Clute. Chris, I'm oh, sure okay. you've seen this. Yes. Yes. With Jane Fonda. It's great. Jane Fonda won an Oscar for her performance. Oh, man. That I... scene when she when they're doing it and she looks at her watch and like, oh, yeah. Oh, great. Great. movie. Honestly, I. I'd heard so many good things about this. I was like, fine, I better, again, I've always said, I have all these movies on my uh, digital recorder. The wife's like, don't record anything new so you get rid of some of the old stuff. So this is one of the old ones. I watched it. I really didn't care for it. Her performance was great, but just, (laughs) it was clearly a movie made in the style of the 70s because that's when it was made. And that, I just just couldn't get into it. It was not for me. Patrick, I know it's great. Patrick, Derek Derek likes like Marvel movies and stuff. Like, I mean, it's... (laughs) It's an uphill climb for me every week. Anyhow, so yeah, Clute, not not getting an A plus, two thumbs up for right. me. But I mean, if you're a little older, maybe it's more your style. But mm. uh, I mean, from a film lover's point of view, I, I'm glad I watched it. But yeah, not my bag. Uh, second one I watched was a lot newer. 2015 Disney movie based on real events, Eddie the Eagle, starring uh, Taron Edgerton and Hugh Jackman. About uh, a guy, an English guy who goes uh, to become the first uh, ski jumper. For the English team in the Winter Olympics, I went it took place in Calgary in the mid '80s. Uh, again, it's this typical uh, uh, underdog story, uh, Disney feel-good story. It was, but it was quite good. I mean, Taron Edgerton and Hugh Jackman—they know how to—they know how to make a movie, and uh, it had all the Disney trappings. I liked it a lot. It was very entertaining. I'd never seen it. It's seven years old, and uh, it was worth the watch. Eddie the Eagle, check it out. Cool. Then I had a chance to watch two documentaries. Oh, did you say documentaries? I did indeed. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. Which documentaries did you watch? All friend? right. So the first one I watched was on PBS, and it was called Happy Birthday, Mr. Bean. And it was a retrospective of the Mr. Bean series. He it had been on the air, I want to say, 30 years since his original debut in the mid 90s. Um, wow. Again, I've seen Mr. Bean episodes. I actually watched the first Mr. Bean movie. It came out when I worked at Blockbuster. We all got a free copy of it. Um, Rowan Atkinson, <laughs> I think, is fantastic in the Mr. Bean series. And it was this really great retrospective of the series and how they how they did it and how they came up with the ideas and how it became this cult classic and how it was. I think he said at one point there are 181 television markets around the world and it was in 181 television markets around the world because it's not language dependent. So it was just a international hit and that the year when it was had its highest ratings, they said Rowan Atkinson in a survey around the world was the seventh most recognizable international person in the world because of Mr. Bean. (laughs) That's like crazy. Wow. No, it was really good. If you like Mr. Bean, try to find this one. It's called Happy Birthday, Mr. Bean. I saw it on PBS. And then the second documentary I watched just dropped on Netflix this this week, and it's probably going to get nominated for Oscars. It's called Senior. It's about Robert Downey Jr.'s father, Robert Downey Sr., hence the title, Senior. And uh, it was quite good. It runs about 90 minutes. It's this very uh, behind-the-scenes, true-to-life story about, you know, this this uh, uh, great movie star in Robert Downey Jr. who's now become one of the most famous people ever. And he's like doing this retrospective of his father who is like an underground indie movie director from the 60s and 70s and 80s. Oh, there's the clock. Oh, there's the clock. Anyway, check out Senior. It's really, really good. So both of those documentaries, A's from me. All right. Oh, nice. Good. Well, we didn't have to cut your mic anyway, so that's good. So um, (laughs) Patrick, I imagine vintage video probably keeps you pretty busy. But it any does, pop culture yeah. you've been able to get to over the past little while you want to share with us? Uh, sure. Um, I, I guess I would start with what I've been doing this week, which is uh, in preparation for an episode, watching everything related to the Poseidon Adventure, oh. um, which uh, in this case included the original movie, the sequel uh, TV movie in 2005, and then the 2006 remake, which is just called Poseidon. Um which and they somehow got Wolfgang Peterson to come and direct, which was pretty neat, actually. Wasn't but, Fergie uh, in that one? She was, yeah. I believe and she has, like, a, a love story with, with Andre Brower, um, <laughs> and it just 
comes out of nowhere because they cut most of it from the final cut. So it's just all of a sudden they're hugging as the ship is going down. It's like, wait, what? When did these two get together? But uh, yeah, it's uh, that that one's not great. It's not as good as the original film, obviously, but it's better than the remake and it's better than the sequel. Very cool. So, uh, so the Poseidon Adventures, what you did. That's so it's kind of old. Actually, it's kind of neat. You're like the bridge between Derek and me. Because he's like newer stuff. I'm older stuff. You're like, you're, this one's kind of the bridge in between. Um, Derek, it's obviously no big secret that you and I are both huge fans of game shows, right? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. I mean, go figure. That's I like old game favorite. shows, you know, from the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah, me too. I've noticed, though, that there is this tendency to reboot these old game shows. No, they never work. I, I see that. I think Jimmy Fallon just did a reboot of um, the old Password show. He's doing that. And there's that stupid Steve Harvey version of Family Feud. But now they've got this version of the $100,000 pyramid that's hosted by uh, by this former defensive end of the New York Giants. Now, we all know I like old stuff and I think all new stuff sucks. So let's just say that this worldview of mine holds particularly true when it comes to rebooting old pop culture. But I, I thought, you know what? I got to put this all aside. I'm going to give this new $100,000 pyramid a try. It sucks. Yeah. Oh, man. The the old one with Dick Clark was so good. Like, it had better categories. It had better gameplay. It had a better set. Much better host. This new one... Oh, do, you don't Chris. have to worry, Patrick. That that stuff gets bleeped out around here. Just so you know, you don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to worry about sullying your reputation by being on a show with bad words. Although, actually, you can, <laughs> you can be swear on your show, don't you? So it's all good. So no worries. Yeah, so, all the time, all the time. All right, all right. Yeah, well, our sense, well, our censors have a heavy hand. But Chris, let me ask you. I yes. seem to recall, and rightly or wrongly, mm-hmm. when they redid the hundred thousand dollar pyramid in whatever iteration it's in today, in order to make it easier for who are we kidding the stupider contestants Mm -hmm. instead of trying to get seven answers right in 30 seconds now i believe they only have to get six answers right it was always you mean in the winner's circle no uh, in like the day-to-day game like in the old one it was seven seven and seven the best you could get was 21 points i think now it's six six and six i think the best you can get is 18 points because people were just too dumb they couldn't get seven answers in 30 seconds so now they give them the same amount of time but they only asked them to do six. I'm pretty sure. I know for one iteration in like recently they did that. I don't know if the most recent iteration did that, but it's like so many game shows they have now when they reboot them, they have to find a way to make them easier because honestly, the contestants tend to be a lot dumber these days. Well, so I don't know. I didn't really notice. I thought they still had to do seven like for each one, but I mean, I could be wrong. They still had the six in the winner's circle when you go up to the Still six in the winner's circle, but the money's worth like way more. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so uh, anyway, on that note, what do you say we also do this? Here's your dad joke of the week. Guys, I have an Empire Strikes Back dad joke for you. Okay? Oh, boy. I better break this <laughs> right. this one. Okay, go ahead. What temperature is the inside of a tauntaun? Lukewarm. Oh, my God. See, it's good, right? Yes. Patrick, you can come back anytime. I'm like a little kid at Christmas. Were you wearing your neck full of gold? I love Christmas. I always have. Okay. I thought it would only be fitting that I write a song. There's three piles of poop. Which one do you like the most? Well, this one. That's. I guess that's just McGroove. Do you drink a lot of rum and then record? Like, is that that the connection? So, Derek, you know how much I love old movies. No big secret there. And and you know how much I appreciate campy movies. So, what better way? to combine several of my loves into one big mess than going back and talking about our favorite B-movies. And we decided to focus on B-movies from the 1980s. And Patrick, like I say, is like the perfect person to join us to do this. He's basically an expert on every single movie released in the 80s. So, you know, there's a few B-movies in there, that's for sure. But I thought maybe we should start, if this makes sense, to maybe define what a B-movie is. Does that make sense? You know, yeah, I think I think that's a good way to sort of level set before we get into it too deeply. I would I would say yeah, absolutely that it's you know sort of generally defined as a poorly made film, obviously made up of bad acting and shoddy special effects and and, and an iffy script. 
But the thing is, is that sometimes, you know, you put all those crappy things together and, and voila, you know, Derek, you and I have mentioned before how a movie can be more or less than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And in some of these B movies, uh, the sum of their quote unquote bad parts actually works. Like, in other words, a movie that's just plain, you know, fun to watch. It's it's entertaining despite all of its failings. That's kind of my take on B movies. Like, Derek, you agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what one of the things that, Chris, you and I sort of talked about a little bit as we were preparing the lists was, like, one of the questions I had was, can a B movie still be considered a B movie if it had a certain amount of box office success in the moment? Or if years later it has sort of found an audience, or is that part of what actually makes it a B movie is that it didn't have success then, but it very much could have found success 10, 20, 30, even 40 years later. And again, that's probably something we'll get into as we talk about our movie selections. So Patrick, any takes on what sort of defines a B movie for you? Well, for me, it does involve production value a lot of the time or uh, specifically being independently financed. So outside of the the major studio system, uh, I tend to think uh, counts as a B-movie. And usually it's something that's like a genre picture or something that's playing to a specific like action or horror or sci-fi element. That's, it's not usually like a period piece drama. Like I feel like even even a low budget period pieces typically not considered a B movie by most people. I that's think, fair. I think that's, a, that's good. I, I think there's a tendency for some people to equate these old B movies with going to the drive-in. Now, yeah. Patrick, did you ever like go to the drive-in movies? Yeah, I think uh, we, we've been to a few that I don't think our drive-in exists anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, I, I went to one when I was much younger. You ever see any B, B movies there? Like, 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 again, I think it's maybe more of a 60s thing maybe where where, you know b movies like like you know like the blob and stuff like that where we're really big at the drive-in um derek you ever been to a drive-in yeah when i was younger in the early 80s we used to uh, i I think i mentioned on the podcast before i have cousins that are around the same age as me and i spent summers at their house and because there ended up being anywhere from six to ten kids always hanging around the parents would bring us to the drive-in because it used to be pay for the car and they didn't care how many people were in it so they would jam like 10 kids in the car and they'd be like it's 20 bucks per car and they're like that's fine and so we used to go to the drive-in all the time just because it was a cheap way for the parents to keep the kids entertained and not blow the budget when you've got you know a house full of young kids around they but, open yeah, the doors I, of the I car it's like a, it's like a marx yeah. brothers movie you know just yeah, exactly <laughs> and there was always like where we went there was like a playground close to the screen oh, so yeah. we would always get there early before it was dark before the movies would start and the parents would be like go play at the playground for a while and then when the movie started nine times out of ten we would just stay at the playground and watch the movie from there uh, uh, many times we couldn't hear it because back then you had like these speakers that were attached to wires right. that were like oh, these yeah. posts that you would park next to. But from time to time, there would be uh, like a speaker box near the playground that wasn't attached to a car. So we could just turn it up and we'd be like, well, I can still hear the movie good enough. Let's just stay here and watch because, you know, try and jam 10 kids into a car. It's not very comfortable. It's like, I'm good. I'm just going to stay out here and watch the end of Star Trek 2. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So the way we're going to do this, we're going to go kind of back and forth between us and I'll throw it around. We're going to start with our number five B movie from the, the 1980s and then work our way up. And because Patrick is our guest, we're going to let Patrick kick things off. So Patrick, your number five five B movie of the 1980s take us away so I had a hard time ranking these so what I did instead was and I didn't want to be too heavy on one year or another so I tried to spread it out and pick one from each two-year section of okay. the decade so smart 80, it's a good 80 idea to 81 yeah. 82 to 83 um, so I'm just going to go through as is my nature in chronological order um, and start with my 1980 to 1981 pick which was Richard Elfman's Forbidden Zone Um, which is just a a fascinating piece of outsider art. Um, It's got uh, Danny Elfman, obviously the director's brother and the famous composer, and many of the Knights of the Oingo Boingo uh, among the cast. Uh, And, of course, you have amazing appearances from uh, Susan Tyrell is like the the evil queen character, and her husband is played by uh, her former boyfriend, Herve Villachez, um, it, like real life, they were in a relationship before this movie and Matthew Bright ends up playing like sort of the de facto lead character of the adventure, but it's just a really fun movie, insane cast and insane set pieces. 
uh, really great music because Danny Elfman's powering the whole thing. Um, and just the sets are, are all made out of cardboard. Everything's black and white. Uh, they made it mostly in a garage and, uh, it's just fascinating and I love it. Did you say Hervé Villachez was in that? Yes. Oh he my. plays the king of the sixth dimension. Oh my gosh. He was that too. That's so cool. Oh my God. What a way to get yeah. us started. I love it. All right, Derek, what's your number five B movie of the 1980s? All right. Well, I'll be honest. I like where I, this I, is going. Well, you're probably not going <laughs> to like it so much when you hear my first couple of picks. So I, I really had a hard time coming up with this list, largely because I don't really care for horror movies. And I don't, I haven't seen mm-hmm. a lot of horror movies. And most B movies from the 80s tend to be horror movies. At least that in my homework, that's sort of what I kept finding. So I tried to look for movies that at least, number one, that I had seen and that I could speak to. And then I sort of just try to keep in mind, like, yeah, it might have been intended to be a big hit movie, but it just like was more of a flop. And then that sort of made it become a B movie. So my first two are sort of maybe treading the line with the with the actual B movie classification. But believe me, my one, two, three picks are absolutely B movies. So I'm going to start with. Uh, my number five pick, again, don't judge me too harshly if you don't really consider it a B-movie, but it's the movie from 1988 called Alien Nation. So it actually stars James Caan, and you think, oh, well, James Caan in a sci-fi movie, it had a big budget, well, a reasonably big budget, and uh, it just tanked, like, big time. It did not find an audience. It came out at a time where there was so much competition for sci-fi and action movies. It just, It just never found legs. And it did not do well in the box office at all. Yet, despite that, it got a TV <laughs> series reboot spinoff like two years later, which ran for like two or three seasons. Again, nobody big and famous in the TV series. Um, even the movie only had a couple of sort of, quote, reckon. I think Mandy Patinkin was in the movie, if I remember was, correctly yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, he played like the main alien guy. And uh, so, I mean, they... Obviously, the concept was strong enough that they felt it could go onto TV. And I want to say it went to like either Fox or UPN or like one of those sort of not the real networks, but more one of the affiliate channels. And uh, it sort of found its place with hardcore sci-fi nerds, but it never really broke into the mainstream. And it's one of those ones that like you just never see the movie come on. Like I have a lot of these 70s, 80s, 90s channels. I have never once seen Alienation just pop up. I've never seen the TV show rear its head on any of the streaming services. But I remember when it came out, I enjoyed it a lot. And then when it was canceled, it's like it fell off the face of the earth. So, I mean, that that's why I'm sort of considering it to be the movie anyway. That's why I'm considering it, it a B movie. It only ranked. So I looked up the ranking out of 10 on the IMDb for all of my movies and I think if your movie ranks less than seven, then you could probably safely call it a B movie. And uh, this is one of my higher ranked movies. It had a 6.3 out of 10. So didn't necessarily get a lot of love on IMDb either, but I'm going to go with Alien Nation as my number five pick. So the ratings go down as we move up. Oh, they definitely do. Oh, that's good. My number one pick has a very, has a very low rating. I I do want to mention that before I get into my, my, my number five pick, one that would have been number one on my list, but it just, it didn't qualify because it came out in 1978. So it just missed being an eighties film, I guess that's Piranha. With Bradford Dillon oh, okay. and Heather Menzies. Oh, man, it's so good. I love the movie. It's basically a Jaws ripoff about piranha fish in this river right. in Texas. Oh, yeah. God, I love the movie. Um, okay, my number five. I'm going with Blood Beach in 1981. Patrick, I, I know you're aware of this movie because you reviewed it on Vintage Video. Okay, yes. here's why I love this movie. When I was 11 years old, the local movie theater was running a B-movie double feature. And my best friend's dad had to take us because Blood Beach was rated R. It was the second movie being shown. And and by the way, the first movie on the double feature is my number one B movie of the 1980s. But we'll get to that soon enough. Just a little bit of a teaser for you. That's all. So Blood Beach <laughs> is basically this Jaws ripoff about this creature that lives under the sand at a beach and then like it attacks people. <laughs> Even the movie poster tagline was, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, you can't get to it. Like everything about it is just cheesy and terrible. It was so bad though that it was good. And I think as an 11 year old, being able to get into an R-rated movie, like it was just a different experience, you know, for me being that age. I mean, at one point, the creature attacks this guy and bites off his penis. 
Like, it's just so terrible. <laughs> the, the movie just, it's its awful. And, like, the star, you know, or I guess the best-known actor was Burt Young. You remember that guy from the Rocky movies? Remember Paulie? Yes. Like, he was, Happy like, birthday, the Polly. star of this thing. It was, the, so this movie ticks off all the boxes. It's got a bad script, you know, yep. Bad acting, bad special effects, but totally entertaining, especially for 18 or 11-year-old me. That's for sure. So, all right, number four. Patrick, what do you got? Um, all right. My next one from 1982 to 1983 is J.P. Simone's horror film Pieces, oh, which is God. actually it's oh, yes. a, a Section 3 video nasty. Um, so it's it's pretty brutal in places, but it's a, it's a Spanish-American co-production, and uh, it's just bonkers. It feels... <laughs> It, it feels very much like a person who was directing it, just improvising each scene as they went. Um, there's these moments that come and go out of nowhere, specifically a cameo from a uh, famous Bruce Lee impersonator, Bruce Lee, spelled L-E instead of L-E-E. And uh, he just shows up uh, out of nowhere and starts fighting with the protagonist. And then the fight is over immediately. And he's like, oh, Kung Fu professor. And just like, they just brush it off like that's a thing that makes sense that a kung fu professor would show up and fight one of his students and then he leaves and that's his whole cameo in the film uh this big angry groundskeeper is played by um paul l smith who's who's mostly known for the bluto character in uh, the popeye robert altman's popeye yes and uh it just has some insane violence uh really just laughable dialogue it, and it's it's really a treat to go see it uh, in a theater with an audience who appreciate it for what it is because everyone will be laughing nonstop for the entire movie. The first time I saw it, it was at our uh, local theater, the the New Beverly Cinema, and Eli Roth was hosting a double feature of Pieces and Torso, and it, they just brought the house down. Both both movies together were were an incredible double, and uh, everybody loved it. But it's it's a lot of fun, and I recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. It's a little a little bloody but uh it's it's a lot of fun i remember my local video rental place in the town that i grew up in i always remember the the box for that one because it had like this chainsaw on it and like this woman's body and so even just yeah. like, it was just like terrifying you know to see that i remember that that was oh that's a good one all right so derek your number four b movie in the 1980s what do you got all right again a lot of people may argue this one wasn't so much a B movie just because it had a lot of performers that you're like, well, those performers did a lot of great stuff, but this is a movie that I don't think many people saw because it only made 13 million bucks in its entire run. And it's a comedy from 1986 that we were actually going to try and review on this podcast, but we couldn't find a copy of it because it's a B movie and hard to find. It's called One Crazy Summer. Oh, God. Stars, oh, okay. John, stars John Cusack and Demi Moore. It's got uh, Bobcat Goldthwait in a small part. It's got uh, Curtis Armstrong, who played Booger in Revenge of the Nerds. It's got, um, oh, my God, who's the guy from uh, um, SCTV? That's Joe Flaherty. Joe Flaherty, thank yeah. you. So, I mean, there's there's performers in this. You can be like, oh, I totally recognize that guy. I love this movie as a little kid. So I had, my, my parents had a VCR when I was younger, and, for occasionally when they would do like free previews of the movie channels, we would record a whole bunch of movies. This was one of those movies I was able to record. And so I watched it again and again and again. I know the entire script. I know all the jokes and it just, the movie sort of just flopped. Nobody I know has really seen it. Nobody I know has any memory of it. And I think it's great. And it's even got in this closing credits, a song by Canadian band, honeymoon suite. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot does it take? in my yeah. opinion. There's a lot to like about this movie. But it just like was a huge bomb and it's one of those. Uh, so, again, I'm going to call it a B movie because you would think based on its pedigree on paper, it's like this movie could have been a hit. Yeah, not so much. Not a hit. And there's a lot of dumb jokes in this. But as a little kid, those are the kind of jokes that I wanted. They landed perfectly with me. And so, again, I don't know if you'd call it a B movie. But it made my B movie list again, just like my last one. It was rated 6.3 out of 10 on the IMDb. And so this was my number four pick. But don't worry, my one, two, three, absolutely B movies for sure. Even if you so, don't think this one. So One Crazy Summer I have on DVD. And um, other than a couple of mild profanity in it, it's actually pretty funny for kids. So I actually let my kids watch it. We went up to the trailer one weekend. There, I think it was like last summer. And I put it on and they loved it. They thought it was great because it is kind of like goofy and kind of silly. Like I like that movie a lot. All right. My number four. 
Now, I was just going to ask, is yes. One Crazy Summer, that's the one with the the I, climactic set piece of uh, the Godzilla costume that won't come off yes, and he stumbles yes. through the model of the city? Yes, that, yes. That moment is so funny. My brother and I, I remember us rolling on the floor laughing at that stuff. Because yeah. the guy threw his, I think it was, I think it was Pat Hickey, threw his threw a cigar. cigar and it goes in the mouth and Bobcat Goldthwait is in the costume. So the smoke is coming out and then they've got all these Asian people running yeah. away. And like, yes. Yeah, so oh my God. Gosh. All right. Okay. So my number four, I'm going to go with Flash Gordon from 1980. And this is another one that I know All you've right. done because I've listened to your episode on it, Patrick. I love nostalgia, <laughs> obviously. And most of what I talk about here on the show, you know, has to do with stuff when I was a kid. So I'm going to go back in time for a minute. Back in December of 1980, me and my good buddy, we love this movie so much that we would go out and like, a, like I'm from Canada. So unlike you out in California there, Patrick, we have a lot of snow up here in the wintertime. So back in December yeah. of 1980, my buddy and I would shovel snow out of driveways in the neighborhood just to get money. And we would just get enough money just to keep going back and seeing this movie in the theater. I probably saw it at least three times in the theater. <laughs> and my buddy actually that, that did that with me, he actually went on to play professional hockey in the NHL. I went on to to host a podcast talking about old movies. We both followed our passions. <laughs> so so I, I love this movie and, and it really, really is a B movie. Like, so the rights to this movie had been tossed around Hollywood for years. And then after Star Wars came out, a lot of this science fiction stuff got greenlit, right? And the whole thing is just this hot, big mess. But I just love it. Like, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Max von Sido is just so perfectly over the top as Ming the Merciless. And Sam Jones acting career basically started and ended with this movie. <laughs> like he, yeah. I remember he, he got into a fight with Dino De Laurentiis and, and he wouldn't go back and do any like second unit stuff or any post-production loops or anything like this. So they just dubbed over yeah. almost all of his lines. <laughs> they get this other actor in there to do it. The special effects are crappy. The sets are crappy. When Clytus falls on those spikes, like it's basically like silly putty coming out of the, the holes in his face mask. It's just so campy and cheesy. But like all good B, B movies, the sum of its parts, I don't know. It just kind of all comes together. I loved it. So, all right, over to your number three. Patrick, what do you got? Um, I just wanted to add uh, with Please. regard to Flash Gordon yes. that you also have these incredible Shakespearean performances from Timothy Dalton and Brian Blessed that are just like stage worthy, you know, to the to the back row of the theater incredible performances and uh and it feels like it was such a waste because sam jones uh, screwed things up with the producer and and i mean that was supposed to be a trilogy there were supposed to be three of those movies and sam jones screwed it up so bad that they were like we're not going to make any more of these i mean it paid for itself <laughs> and you know, you, it, you know it's you're right like, you're right because their performances were actually like quite strong in in a movie yeah. that, that didn't really take itself very seriously i think the, the producers weren't even sure like is this kind of a comedy is it not a comedy is it is it campy tongue-in-cheek but they were you're right their performances were, were actually like they took it seriously it's like they were doing shakespeare yeah. Out there. yeah it's it's really it's really fun all right your number three uh, uh b movie of the 1980s so my number three this is the one that that comes the closest to not technically being a B movie because okay. I think it did come out through a studio. But um, for 1984 to 1985, I went with Toby Hooper's Life Force. Okay, yeah. Um, which uh, is basically a space vampire movie based on a book I think that was called The Space Vampires. Um, but it has incredible special effects from Rob Bottin, uh with these creatures. Like as the people are being sucked dry of their life force or their like life essence, they become these husks of humans. But the animatronics keep, you know, the skeleton keeps moving and the people are screaming. And it's just got some really insane uh, uh, special effects. Uh, you have an incredible cast because uh, Patrick Stewart, I think, is in there. And uh, there's just people you wouldn't expect to be in this movie. And also there's there's plenty of enjoyable nudity, I would say, uh, because these vampire characters are mostly naked in the film. But uh uh, Toby Hooper is, is a favorite director of mine from his work on Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. Oh, yeah. And so uh, this one was one I, I had to seek out, and I really, really enjoyed it. Steve Rillsback was the, the lead actor in that one, if I remember. And he was in Stuntman. I remember he was really good. Yes. And if, if I remember correctly, he also did um, Helter Skelter. 
I remember. Right. Yeah. He was yeah. a Manson for that. Yeah. 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 So no, that's, a, that's a good one. I like that one. All right, Derek, what do you got for your number three B movie from the 1980s for us? All right. So this one, this is the, uh, this is where we start getting into one. some real bad ones. Apparently this is the first and <laughs> only one that I actually saw in a movie theater. Although my number two pick, I did see at the drive-in. My number three pick is a movie from 1987 called the monster squad. So All this right. is one oh, where, yeah. uh, it's a bo- bunch of kids that end up, uh, you know, in a, in a, uh, an encounter with Dracula, the wolf man, the creature from the black lagoon, the mummy, uh, and Frankenstein's monster. I'm like those, you know, all the classic monsters that are in the public domain that nobody has to pay anything for. And it's like, let's make a movie where these kids encounter all of them. And of course the kids were about the same age I was when the movie came out. So, um, so I could relate to it on that level. Plus it's a lot of dumb humor. Like in the trailer, there's a scene that I remember from the movie where they're like fighting the Wolfman, and the kid's like, kick him in the nards. And he's like, Wolfman doesn't have any nards. And then he, of course, kicks him in the in the crotch, and then the Wolfman falls over, and he goes, oh, my God, Wolfman has nards. And I remember that was like a thing that people were constantly quoting. Again, I was like nine <laughs> when this thing came out. And then uh, I, I also remember like there's a part in the movie where they have to have a virgin has to read the magic spell to send the monsters away, and like the guy's sister reads it, and then they're like, why isn't it working? And they're like, are you a virgin? She goes, well, you know, I've been with this one guy, but that doesn't count. And then they get like the little four-year-old girl to read it. Cause that was the only other virgin oh, in the town. God. And it was like, it's just so cheesy and so bad. It's so campy. And it was, again, it was not a tremendous financial success. It, uh, it did not do very well in the box office. It, uh, what is it? It made 3 million bucks on a $12 million budget. So it definitely did not do well. And yeah. uh, definitely would classify this one as a B movie. And it does sort of fall into that horror genre, but I think it was billed more as a comedy than a horror. So it's called Monster Squad. It's actually the highest rated movie on the IMDb of my five picks. It's a 6.9 out of 10, but it has a very small sample size. So yeah. it's my number three that's pick a, is the Monster Squad. That's a Black and Decker script, right? That's Shane Black and Fred Decker wrote that together because I think Decker directed it. Um, uh, yes, Black and Decker. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But uh, Shane Black, uh, you know, obviously he became like a powerhouse. Oh, absolutely. Uh, with, uh, so I, I, it's fun to see his early stuff and to see, you know, where, where he got his, he, he figured things out. He figured out how, how to start turning a profit with his scripts. And then he, he goes on to like Lethal Weapon and Last Action Hero and all this it, it, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Really great stuff uh, later in his career. Yeah. So anyway, that's my number three, Mon- the Monster Squad from 1987. All right. My number three. Oh, this is a personal favorite. Amazon Women on the Moon from 1987. All right. So I, I mentioned when we did our 1987 pop culture fantasy draft, I went with planes, trains and automobiles for my personal pick. But I really wanted to go with this movie, Amazon Women on the Moon. But I knew if I did, it would cost me the draft. And, you know, hey, I won the draft. I won the Funko Fonzie trophy. So I, I I guess I made the right choice. But what better B-movie than a B-movie about B-movies, which is basically what this <laughs> is. It plays almost like a person watching TV late at night and switching through the channels, you know. And one of the things that's on late at night is this movie called Amazon Women on the Moon, which is this. B movie starring Steve Forrest. It's, you know, make believe, but it's got so much going on in this. It's got Henry Silva in this TV show called or not. And he's like, our reenactment team has put together this video showing what it would be like if Jack the Ripper was actually the Loch Ness monster. And it's just like stupid, stupid stuff. But there's this old black and white movie in it called Son of the Invisible Man, where Ed Bagley Jr. basically thinks he's invisible, but he's really not. So he just (laughs) runs around naked around the town and everyone's like, oh, look, it's the Invisible Man again. Oh, my goodness. It's just like so stupid. But this whole thing is just amazing, though. Like, it is totally a B movie. It bombed. I think I don't even think it made more than a couple hundred grand at the the movie at the box office, but I love this movie. So, uh, Patrick, you're aware of this movie? I know Derek. You never. Yes, you don't know. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like every Joe Dante project uh, is kind of a love letter to to late night movies, and uh, and that is obviously no exception because it's just uh, veers from one crazy uh, B movie story to another, and. Uh, 
Uh, but it just reminds me of movies like Explorers yes. uh, from him. Or uh, he also he he made a movie in college called uh, the movie Orgy, which was like a bunch of B movies edited together, and it's like nine hours long or something like that. And uh, I got to go see a screening of it, with, and Joe Dante was there for it, and it, it's just incredible what what he does. But he he clearly loves these movies. He loves all that all that genre nonsense stuff and low budget sci fi, um, and uh, it, it, he 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 brings a lot of heart to it which you appreciate when you go into those things. Absolutely. And, 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 and proves that he can also do comedy here because I mean, this yeah. thing is funny, you know, and it's one of these ones that I think if people were to watch it now, we, it's really hard to find, like you can't find it on the streamers or anything, but I always felt like when I had it on VHS back in the day, I would show it to like people like friends of mine and they'd be like, what the hell is this? I'm like, just watch it. And they would love it. They would laugh. They were like, this yeah, yeah. is great. Like, how do I not know what this is? Like, it's just so fun. But you know, it just kind of, you know, escaped mainstream success, let's just say. But it's a B-movie, I guess. What do you expect? So, all right. So we'll move on to our number two pick. Patrick, take it away. All right. This one from 1986 to 1987, I went mm-hmm. with Andy Sedaris's Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Oh, nice. Um, which is, it's, um, so Andy Sedaris is a very interesting filmmaker. Um, he, uh, he leans into, like, boobs and guns and explosions and that's like really what's important to him and uh and the, he he does it to like the most extreme levels but uh it the cast is is a lot of playboy models and it takes place in hawaii it was shot in hawaii um and he made this basically with the profit from his previous film uh miami connection which is another ridiculous b movie of the 80s but uh the story here, I had to copy the the premise so I could read it. This is from Wikipedia, just so to give you an idea of the ridiculousness of this film. Two drug enforcement agents are killed on a private Hawaiian island. Donna and Taryn, two operatives for the agency, accidentally intercept a delivery of diamonds intended for drug lord Seth Romero, who takes exception and tries to get them back. Soon, other agency operatives get involved, and a full-scale fight to the finish ensues, complicated here and there by various by a very dangerous snake infected by deadly toxins from cancer-infested rats. Wow. So that's that's the kind of writing that you have going into this story, but there's, there's a everything lot that you want to there. explode explodes. There's a lot of hot tubs. There's a lot of gunplay. There's some insane razor blades and frisbees moments and uh, people getting hit by cars on skateboards. And uh, it's just, it has to be seen to be believed. It's It's wonderful. <laughs> Nice. Like it. All right, Derek, number two, what do you got? All right. My number two movie, I actually saw it the drive in and then saw it again on video a couple of years later. And I would have been very young because it came out in 1981, stars Ringo Starr. The movie's called Caveman. <laughs> oh, yes, I know that. You guys, they uh, did it over on Vintage Video, too. Yeah, yeah. this one scored a, a, an amazing 5.2 out of 10 on the IMDb. Uh, I, I Again, being very young, uh, I, I seemed again, it's, it has been a very long, I probably had seen this movie since the early eighties. I seem to recall that like none of the cavemen could speak in a language we understood. So again, it was sort of right. leans back on that Mr. Bean we were talking about earlier where it's a lot of pantomime and slapstick. Like there's one time where the blind guy goes up to the dinosaur and he's like rubbing his nuts and the, and, like not realizing what it is. And then he whacks on it with a stick. And it's just, again, when you're like six years old, that's the funniest thing. And uh, I just remember as a little kid really enjoying this. And then a few years later, being a little bit older and just realizing how bad it really was, but still just loving it so much. And it's just so awful. But uh, yeah, I have very fond memories of this movie. And I think it's one of those ones that if I was to go back and watch it now, I would cringe at how bad it really is. And I just don't want to ruin those memories of, of that I have of this movie. In my mind, I still think it's great because I still remember it when I was like eight years old. But yeah, this is my number two pick, Caveman from 1981. And a tie into your 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 other movie, One Crazy Summer, is John Matusak was in both these movies. So John oh, Matusak, right, yeah. he was like he was Barbara Bach's like husband or whatever, caveman husband in in this movie. And then he was also in One Crazy Summer. Remember, I'll take your word when for he, it. I don't remember. In One Crazy Summer, he was a guy on the bike. Like, he was the motorcycle, like, the lead guy. And then when he went into the, the ocean, if you remember, he came out and then, like, he had spiked hair and there was, like, fish stuck on the spikes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The same yeah, guy. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so Patrick, Patrick you, you, you remember that movie, Caveman 2, obviously? 
yeah, going into Caveman, we we expected it to be very tiresome, and we were pleasantly surprised when we sat down to it because uh, even though. As you said, they don't speak a word of English in the movie. They speak entirely in their caveman language, which I guess was translated by cards they handed out in theaters or something. But uh, but it's actually like kind of a sweet story, and the jokes are are they're all like dad jokes, which we kind of enjoy. Um, where, we do. Where it's yes. just kind of innocent but still funny. And I have to say that the stop motion animation from Jim Danforth, who ended up getting fired off of the film. Uh, is incredible it it's it's such impressive work it, and that it, it embarrasses clash of the titans the following year or i guess yes. later the same year um and we couldn't believe that uh what we were seeing and it took us a while to figure out how they were even doing some shots and my wife like knows stop motion animation she's worked in in the field and she's worked on stop motion animated television series and there's stuff in there where she was like i'm not even quite sure how they how they matched the action on this shot um but the the dinosaurs really are a treat to behold in that film and, and they're well, comedic too because the eyeball the eyeballs roll in different directions and yes. stuff like that and right yeah 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 it's very cartoony yeah yeah. Now I did notice that this movie uh, was uh, nominated for two awards and was the winner of one of them. Something called the Stinker Awards, which I guess are like right. a precursor to the Razzies. It was nominated yeah. for most painfully unfunny comedy, which it did not win, but it did win least special special effects. So, you know, obviously in the moment, people at least gave it some consideration. Yeah, I think that was actually nominated against. Uh... Just tell me what you want as most painfully unfunny comedy. And I, I think the award that year went to, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that terrible Peter Sellers swan song, uh, um, the Fu Manchu film from 1980. Oh, yes. The, the, the fiendish plot the fiendish of Dr. Fu Manchu. Dr. Fu yeah. Manchu. Yes. Good one. All right. My number two. Oh, boy. 1985. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. <laughs> So where do I start with this one? Okay, it's got Fred Ward, who, although was a fine actor in his own right, he just can't really carry a film, let alone a franchise. And they did promote this as a franchise. I mean, it's in the title. The Adventure Begins, for crying out loud. And then I remember they tried to market this like this was going to take on James Bond, you know, with Remo Williams being the next big action movie star. Didn't work out so well. So... The other thing is it's got this wise Korean master played by Jennifer Gray's dad, Joel Gray from friggin' Cabaret. <laughs> like, and then yeah. even the end of the movie, there's no real big action-packed climactic scene. It's just Remo dropping some logs down a hill to knock a car over. Like, right. I, And I also love at the beginning of the movie how they alter his appearance they just shave his mustache off. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. Like, yeah. It's so bad. It's this is a, this movie is so so bad. But again, when you put it all together, I just love it. I just watched this movie again about 2 weeks ago. I was mentioning it to you the other day, Derek. I am a sucker for punishment, I guess, but number 2 is Remo Williams. The well, and we did a whole podcast on this movie. Yeah. So if you if you want to know more about it, go back and listen through the archives. We we really <laughs> dived into it for a good 45 minutes to an hour. And Patrick, you're four years away from getting to this movie, but uh, but you know it. Yes, no, I've I've seen the film, and I remember all the marketing material really emphasized that fight on the Statue of Liberty, which happens like halfway through the movie. That you should have been the climax, climax of the film. If they would have yeah, ended yeah, the movie sure. with that scene, then maybe you got something. You know, I agree. It was right in the middle. It's so stupid. Yeah, weird choice. Okay, time to move on to our number one. All right, Patrick, take it away. All right, my. My final installment here is the one that I think is the most classic interpretation of the movie. Uh, from 1988 to 1989, I have Killer Clowns from Outer Space oh, yes. from the oh, Kyoto yes. Brothers. Yes. Um, and uh, this is a film about uh, quite literally killer clowns coming from outer space and wrapping people in cotton candy to uh, to eat them eventually. And uh, it has some really fun set pieces. These masks that the Kyoto Brothers made for these characters um, are the, these clown characters with these exaggerated faces are so incredible. And the masks were, I think, later reused in uh, uh, Ernest Scared Stupid. Uh, they just like gave them a new paint job and called them trolls or something. But uh, 
but the all the props and all the set pieces and and uh, art direction is just really fun it's very colorful but it's still very corny and you have john vernon as oh, like yes. uh this this lead character trying to solve this whole uh mystery it it's just a lot of fun and it's it's good to put on in a, in a group setting maybe with a couple of drinks i would say great pick i think that was a dynamite one derek what do you got for your number one I was going to say, I've never seen Killer Clowns from Outer Space, but when I was doing the homework for this episode and I was doing a lot of web searches, that kept coming up as either the number one movie or like within the top five of all these critics' lists of like, what are your favorite B movies? What are the most underrated? Like it kept coming up over and over and over again. I thought, well, I can't put it on my list because I've never seen it, but I'm glad it made, a, it made a, an appearance on our lists. Yeah. All right. My number one movie. My number one movie is uh, a comedy from 1984. I probably saw it 20 times in 84, 85, 86. And I found out very pleasantly this week that it is available in its entirety on YouTube, unedited, uncut, and it's just available for free. And it's a spoof movie in the same vein as Airplane, and it's called Night Patrol. Are either (laughs) of you familiar with this film? I don't think so. Okay. I don't know Night Patrol. No. So it stars Linda Blair, who you might know from The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sure. stars a Canadian stand-up comic, Murray Langston, the unknown comic who wears like a paper bag oh, on okay. his head. Uh, it's he got write a, it or direct it? He was one of the writers, yeah. Uh, he was from The Gong Show, right? Uh, yep. Right, uh, yeah. Pat Mora from uh, from Karate Kid makes a couple of appearances. It's got uh, uh, Billy Bart- Barty, who is uh, a little person. Love He's him. obviously mm-hmm. remembered from a lot of people in the Willow franchise. He's the wizard who's like, the bones tell me nothing. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. And it's got like a lot of people in it. And you're like, oh, I sort of recognize that one. And it is just dumb comedy moments one after another. Like it, right at the beginning of the movie, there's, the police are under fire. And they go, we need a backup unit. And it's literally... Uh, a film, a, a scene that's been shot, and they just put it in reverse. So the police car backs up. The police officers jump out of the car and walk in reverse because they're the backup unit. Like it's that kind of comedy. The one character, her name is Sue Perman, and so at one point the guy's like, "I don't want to take any of your crap tonight." And she's like, "Oh, that 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 language is making me weak." And he goes, "What's wrong, Sue Perman? You don't want any of that crap tonight? How about we give you some more crap tonight? Crap tonight?" And she's like, "Oh, oh no!" And he's just like, "Too large for you, Sue Perman." It's just like that kind of dumb, stupid humor. And like one scene, the guy's like, oh, here comes this uh, this lady officer. Screwed her brains out last night. And then she walks across the scene. She's all like, derp, derp, derp. And she's like falling all over the place. It's like, it's just this dumb, stupid, inappropriate garbage humor from the early 80s. And it, I watched it this week again on YouTube and I killed myself laughing. It's so dumb. It's so funny, <laughs> and it got a literally it got a four point six out of ten on the IMDb. So again, this is oh my, my lowest scoring movie, and it's one of those ones. I think what had happened was it was on one of those movie channels because it had Canadian content. Because Murray Langston, being Canadian and being one of the writers, it probably qualified. So it was on one of those Canadian movie channels. We recorded it, and we just watched it over and over and over again. And being a little kid, you didn't even recognize all the jokes. But it's just you started to memorize them, and it's just like it all flooded back when I watched it this week. It's just it's so bad, but it's so good. And I was like, this is it. This is my number one movie. I don't even need to make the rest of a list. I just need five things to keep me busy. But yeah, Night Patrol, 1984. It's on YouTube. I strongly recommend if you like that kind of stupid comedy from the 80s, you've got to give you'll know within 10 minutes. You're like, you're either going to love it or hate it. If you think after 10 minutes, I can give this the like you're going to you're going to be glad you gave it your full 90 minutes. So that's me. Night Patrol. Number one. All right. Be- All right. Before I get to my number one, I want to mention some really bad B movies that didn't make my list just because they were so god awful. So they didn't quite qualify because I wanted them to be half decent. Chris, come back to me after I got one more, too. Perfect. Megaforce from 1982. <laughs> okay. Directed Barry by Bostwick. Al Needham. You know that one? With Michael Beck and Barry Bostwick. Hands yeah. down, the worst special effects ever with that motorcycle flying through the air. <laughs> the movie is just terrible. It's just, That it is a B movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> so another one from 1988 was Mac and Me. 
You know that? Okay. <laughs> it's like an ET ripoff. The the creature. That's a Stuart Raffle movie, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like this, the the alien in it looks like worse than that meathead thing and like meatballs too. The dance. Right. I remember the dance scene in the McDonald's. Oh my good god. I mean, the whole thing is a McDonald's commercial, yeah. basically. <laughs> oh, terrible. So a couple other ones that came to mind you were Beastmaster from 1982. Remember that? That almost made yeah. my list. I consider that a We're B movie. Up on that one. Yeah, that one with with Mark Singer and Tanya Roberts and John Amos. I I thought about Heavy Metal from '81 as being kind of a B movie because it just kind of. Chris, I had that on my list and I crossed it off at the last minute and I replaced it with Alien Nation. That was my number five until about two hours before we recorded. I <laughs> thought of a, a horror movie, Motel Hell from 1980. It would kind of yeah. qualify in there, I think. But one that really was close to making it was 1986's Howard the Duck. Saw that one in the theater. Yeah, I felt like it was like a... theatrical Marvel movie. Yeah, yep. that, that's the thing is like it was so big and it was like... It, just, it was more of a bomb than anything else, but it ticks off all the boxes in terms of a B-movie. But my number one. So I mentioned earlier that Blood Beach was one of the movies on the double feature that I went to see when I was 11 years old, when my, my, my friend's dad took us to see it. And so the other movie on the bill is my number one B movie of all time. So I know Patrick is familiar with this one because he did it on Vintage Video. In fact, this is the very first Vintage Video episode I ever listened to. It was my gateway into your show, Patrick. <laughs> and I'm talking about <laughs> Kill and Kill Again from 1981. So yeah. if you look up B movie in the dictionary, you will find a movie poster for Kill and Kill Again. I mean, my God, this movie. So it's about this team of guys that have to go on a mission together to save the world, of course. And there's a bad guy trying to take over the world with this mind control drug, Marduk. And he's got this fake beard and he's this <laughs> terrible actor. And maybe best of all, this movie is actually a sequel. <laughs> like, so right. the, fir the first one was Killer Be Killed from from like 76. And in, in that yeah. one even, just in, in good B-movie, you know, tradition, in the original film, it was still, the lead character was played by James Ryan, the same actor. But the character's name was different. It was Steve Hunt in the original one. It was Steve Chase. Steve in the Chase in the next like, one. And then I also love how in this movie, he's putting the team back together for another job. But the only thing right. is the team wasn't even in the first movie. <laughs> like it's this, yeah. the acting is so bad. The script is awful. It's got, it's got all these guys doing martial arts. Not even one of them are Asian. <laughs> like you don't even right. know if it's trying to be funny or if it's just inadvertently funny, but I tell you what, it is awesome. My wife just said to me tonight, she's like, I need a, a list from you for Christmas. What do you want? I'm like, I would like Kill, kill and Kill Again on DVD. She's like, what is that? Like, <laughs> just get it for me, please. So that's my number one. Um, well, I think there's a Blu-ray now of that one. There is. <laughs> and that's what I want. So Patrick, you're obviously very familiar with this movie. Yeah. Like you, you obviously have seen it. You know, yeah, reviewed I mean, it and stuff. And we we covered the the first one, which I guess has a also known as a Karate Killer, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but we covered it as a, a minisode on our our Patreon. But um, the first one's not as good as the second one. The second yeah. one is actually pretty fun because of yeah. all these like uh, diverse elements that they bring into it. But I just love that the mind control drug is is made from potatoes, and that they're going to use it as a mind control drug, but also as a fuel to send cars to the moon or yeah. something like it's goes all over the place. It doesn't make any sense at all. And you're right that there, there are no Asians. Uh, there's no Asian actors in this entire army that he has. And he refers to it as like the most skilled martial arts team on the planet. And it's all like these middle-aged, like heavier South African. The one guy is the one guy. He calls himself hot dog. He can't even like, he's like, He's not even like a right. martial artist in any capacity yeah, at all. They introduce him like he's going to be a MacGyver and he's going to come up with all these brilliant plans. And in one scene, he sees a bunch of thumbtacks on a table and pockets them. And then he throws them in the sand during a fight. And that's his only contribution to the fight. And it's, and it's on the ground. So like they would just go into yeah. the into the dirt like it wouldn't even hurt anybody. Right. So yeah. And he steps on them himself and yeah. hurts himself. So exactly. it doesn't it doesn't even help the fight. Oh, my God. Derek, you and I, I'm telling you, at some point, I'm having you watch this movie on the podcast and we're going to review it. I'm going to put you through your pace. Yeah, that'll be our last episode ever. 
We'll go out in we'll style. We're looking for a new partner. Let me tell you, we will go out in style. Okay, so there we go. We did it. We we made it through all the way. We go, we, we made it through our top five B-movies. So what do you say now that we actually have some fun with Caveman? Nothing like coming full circle. So like at the top of the show, I mentioned how I like the old $100,000 pyramid. So I'm going to take you along for the ride here, Patrick. Uh, since you're our esteemed guest, uh, today is your lucky day, my friend. You're going to be taking a seat right. in the winner's circle of the $100,000 pyramid. And I do my homework. If I'm not mistaken, was your mom not on an episode of Card Sharks? She was on several episodes of Card Sharks. <laughs> That's so cool. So I think you're going to be right at home <laughs> doing this. Okay, so we are going to do the $100,000 pyramid. Here we go. So obviously the goal of sitting in the winner circle of the $100,000 pyramid is you want to try to get to the top of the pyramid. Now, you're going to do this by guessing the categories. There's six in all. So Patrick, you're going to be playing with me, okay? I'm going to be giving you all the right. clues. All I can give you, just like on the show, is just lists. And then based on the lists of the clues that I give you, you just have to guess each category. You get all six right. All right. And Derek will give you $100,000. Derek? Canadian. All right. Yeah, it's Canadian money, so it's it's worth like a buck twenty-five. You know, so just important yeah. distinction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, since it's pop goes your world, all the categories will be related to pop culture in some way. So, you all set? Yeah. All right. Ready? Go. Doctor Johnny Fever, Herb Tarlick, Les Nessman, Jennifer Marlowe. The cast of uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. Yes, yes, very good. Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime. Streaming services. Yes. The seats, the popcorn, the projector, the usher. Things in a movie theater. Yes. Um, TJ Hooker, Law and Order, Hill Street Blues. Police shows. Yes. Um, Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, Zuzu's Petals, Mr. Potter, Bedford Falls, Clarence the Angel. I don't know. Christmas, The oh, Bridge. Uh, uh, a, a suicidal it's a jump. Life. Yes. It's, it's, it's a wonderful life. Yes. Uh, every rose has its thorn. November rain. Uh, Mama, I'm coming home. Sister Christian. Bed of Roses. Uh, gu Guns and Roses. Love Bites. Patience. Nothing Else Matters. November Rain. Guns every, and Roses songs. Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Wind of Change. Goodbye to Romance. Derek. Power Ballads. Yay! <laughs> Okay. Oh man, Derek, you had to step in there, but you did it. It was it was heavy metal ballads. Ballads was go. the word we were looking oh, okay. for. So very very good slow songs, you know, from those uh, those heavy metal groups. That was great. Music is all my, always my weak point. Yeah, me too. Stuff. Me too. I'm more of a movie and TV guy, so I totally get where you're coming from. But uh, but Patrick, thanks for taking a seat in the in the in the, the winner circle. Derek will be sending you the hundred thousand uh, dollar in in a check, I guess. Derek, it's like I say, it's Canadian funds, so it's not worth a whole lot. But uh, you will be getting right. That, so. So it's all good. I want to really, really thank you, Patrick, for taking the time to join us. Like I said, I am a huge, huge fan of yours. So just thank you for joining us. Well, I appreciate us. that. Thank, thanks for having me. You know, I, I'm, I was excited to come on, and, and I've had a really good time with you guys tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. You're going to find uh, Patrick on Vintage Video, along with Jesse Bayless and Richard Wells, where they review each and every movie released in the 1980s, as I mentioned, in chronological order. And if you don't already listen to the show, I strongly suggest that you give them a try. So, uh, Patrick, again, just thanks so much for joining us. 
Now, next time out, it's Thank over you. to Derek to have me watch a quote-unquote newer movie. So um, our last few movies were from 1987, so I guess it's time for me to watch something that came out after the 80s. So, uh, so Derek, what do you want me to watch for next time? So I actually teased this on an episode a little while back. Uh, we've talked often about, in your opinion, how comedies reach their apex in the 1980s and oh, how yeah. comedies after the 80s just don't hold up. They all suck. And, and I would argue that largely that is true. But there are exceptions to every rule, and there have been a handful of really great comedies. And hmm. so I want you to watch one of the ones that I think is a really great comedy. Okay. And honestly, I didn't really think it was that great the first time I saw it, but upon a number of rewatches, it just seems to get better and better. It's from 2003, starts Will Ferrell and Luke Wilson. It's called Old School. Have you seen it before? I have seen it before. And this is going to be very interesting because I agree with you. I think like the, the comedy is a dying art form. Like it, it was a, it reached its peak in the eighties and then anything that came out after 2000, all those comedies suck. So this is going to be very, very interesting to do this. I like where this is going, Derek. I think it's going well, to be great. I, I haven't seen it in a while. I believe we can watch it on Amazon prime. If I did my homework correctly here. And I mean, it's got a great cast, Vince Vaughn, Luke Wilson, Will Ferrell. It's got Ellen Pompeo before she was in Grey's Anatomy. Uh, you know, Jeremy Piven's got a small part. Julia Lewis got a small part. Uh, Craig Kilborn, Sean William Scott, known as better known as Stifler from the American Pie movies. Like, there's a lot of people in this movie that you're going to be like, oh, I totally know who that is. Or, oh, I remember that person. And uh, it's one of those ones that I, I think really has held up well. And uh, although I haven't seen it in a while, so we'll go back and watch it. We'll come back next week and talk about it. I mean, it's almost 20 years old. It's 19 years old. It came out in 2003. It's coming up on its 20th anniversary. So uh, let's give it a watch and see if it uh, see if it holds up and see if we can convince you that at least one comedy that came out after 1989 is worth watching. We will see. I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, next time out, we'll, be, we'll come back. We'll review old school. So until then, this is Chris McBride on behalf of myself and Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.